Hello, and welcome to the podcast. If you are just tuning in now, where have you been? I'm <laughs> just kidding. This is the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast, and I've got Darcy with me, my co-host and partner in crime. Hey, what's up? How's it going? Good. We're having like a torrential downpour. I think maybe some tornado warnings outside right now. It's cold. Oh, that's yeah, frightening. Spring in the south. Good times. I just got done with volleyball. Um, <gasps> How'd it go? I'm dying. It was our last match of the season. The seasons are pretty short in this league. Oh, really? It's only like six. I think it was only six matches. Do you do like playoffs too? No, they don't even do playoffs. They just do six oh. matches and then whoever's ranked at the top at the end of the season is the winner of the league. It's kind of weird. Oh, huh. Because we did like six, six matches was about what we did. Bobby like, was eight. Was it? Yeah. I just remember. And then you had well, playoffs. I remember that we, eight, ma- eight normal season play- uh, matches and then playoffs. Right, I remember. Yeah, I remember we had playoffs because that one team always brought and in that girl a trophy. from the University of Hawaii. Right, <laughs> that girl pissed me off. She oh. Actual college volleyball player at University of Hawaii. The ringer, and we're all like in our thirties trying to play like like the good old days. <laughs> Come on. The thing is, like, she wasn't like that. she wasn't like a D one player, but she was. Yes, yeah, she was. She, no, she wasn't. No, she was on the beach volleyball team at University of Hawaii. Mm, I don't know. Okay, we can we can disagree about the quality of her play, but she was on the beach volleyball team at University of Hawaii. It was the whole reason why the league started looking into the whole ringer thing to begin mm-hmm. with, because there's you're not supposed to have subs in playoffs, like right. It's supposed to be somebody that's like yeah. anyway. Not here so right there. what they started doing was putting her on the roster, and she would just show up the last game only, right. which is so ridiculous. <laughs> really, you want to win this league that bad that you're willing to bring in like a ringer for the she last? She was fun to play against, but it was really annoying because like we always beat that team, yeah. and then they bring her, and it's like, come on. Well, that was the team with the broken arm girl, right? She was a random sub for them, but yeah, that was that team. That was bonkers. That was um, her mom was really good too, though. The, the her college, mom was good. Her mom was. They a were one of those scrappy player. ones where you're like, they're not gonna be that good, and then like they just get everything. Yeah. Well, they were all older. Like most of the team was like in their late 30s, early 40s, and then they had their daughter, which means they play smart too. <laughs> they were scrappy. They don't play fast like scrappy the young kids AF. do. They play smart. Yeah. So it yeah. was interesting to play that and. This league is, yeah, you know, it's kind of a mix of some older gals and some younger gals, but I mean, it's really intense. And I, you know, throwing myself around the court like I'm 20 years old. It yeah. was pretty intense. I'm pretty How sore. How you feel the next day after doing that? My <laughs> knees are just all banged up because I don't wear yep. knee pads and like. Um, you never wear knee pads. I never do. Because um, yeah. it's pretty much, if you can't get to the ball, like you don't need to be getting down on your knees for it. You know like, what? And if you can get to the ball with your knee pads, you can get to the ball straight up without going onto your knees. But I do a lot of diving and Again, like I'll we'll roll. I do a lot of, bo- I do a lot of rolling. Um, but typically I don't end up with knee issues. I don't end up hitting my knees at all. I land and I hit kind of, I cushion it on my hip and my butt mm-hmm. and my thighs and all that kind of stuff when I'm diving. So I'm not necessarily impacting my knees at all, but I had one play where the setter like called, she said, hi, hi, it's hi, it's hi. hi. And it sounded like she was saying mine. So I was going to let her have the ball that came up free ball over the net. And she was saying, Why hi, hi, I don't know. You can see it was weird. And, <laughs> and the thing is you got the stupid masks on. So you, everything is muffled and you can't oh. hear what people are saying. And it's just like, you're out of breath and everything's challenging. So, um, 
I thought she was saying mine. And so I right. was, I let it go. And then I realized, oh, she's, she's saying hi. And so I like dove for the ball at the last minute. And of course my form was awful. And I landed on my knees and grabbed that ball. And mm, oh, you can get to the ball without. Well, cause I went at the last minute. With like instead knees, of, get to the ball if I had, your knees. if yeah. I had had plenty of time to do it, if she oh. had said, go for it, sure. you, 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 I would have been more than fine. I had plenty of sure. time cause it was a high free ball over the net. Sure. It wasn't a hit. So sure. I just like threw myself on the floor at the last minute to make sure the ball didn't die. Because so. you wanted to look cool. No, I did not look cool. Everybody looks cooler when I you dive. I looked damn spastic. <laughs> <laughs> I really looked spastic. So anyway, um, enough about that. <laughs> yeah, we, we could literally do a whole episode just talking about. It was intense. It was a really good match. Um, and I felt like it was like I'm starting to get my volleyball legs back. I'm starting to get back oh, into the nice. swing of things and it feels good. So. Anyway. What I would give to play again, like a legit game again. I don't know. But those days are those days are done. I can't imagine being in that position. It sucks. It's horrible. It's like being told mm-hmm. you can't have sex anymore to me. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds awful. <laughs> awful. So, anyway. Um, I'm going to talk about Madeline McCain. McCann, by the way. McCann. McCann, yeah. sorry. Madeline McCann. Sorry, I don't know why I said that. Ooh. That was weird. I think I was thinking of um, McCain. the Megan McCain? Yes. Yeah. Um, Madeline McCann. Um, Madeline Beth McCann was born May 12th, 2003 in England. And she was born in and lived in Rothley with her family. And she was a very pretty little blonde-haired, greenish-blue-eyed girl with a birthmark on her left calf and a distinctive dark strip in the iris of her right eye. And I think a mm-hmm. lot of people remember the images of this young mm-hmm. girl after she disappeared. And seeing that, they were using it as a very distinctive feature to try to draw her apart and, and have somebody identify and find her. But Madeline's mom and dad were doctors, and they were also practicing Roman Catholics. Her mother, Kate, graduated from medical school in 1992 and was a general practitioner and her father Gerald got his medical degree in 2002 and has been a cardiologist since 2005. So the mom and dad met in 1993 and married in 1998 and they had Madeline in 2003 and then they had a boy and a girl twin set in 2005. Mm -hmm. So fast forward to 2007. And the family, the McCann family, parents Kate and Gary, take their two-year-old twins and their three-year-old daughter on a family vacation in Portugal, which is not mm-hmm. unusual for English and British um, people, citizens, yeah, to take vacations. Yeah, it's a very yeah. popular like, vacation spot. It's warm and sunny, and there's a lot of beach mm-hmm. resort towns, and it's a very common thing for British citizens to do. And the vacation was super chill, and there was a group of people that had gone there together with their kids to relax, enjoy the warm weather, and get some sun at a beachside resort. And there are, I believe they said there were nine adults and eight children, um, and they all kind of were in this same little area. So it's May 3rd, 2007, around 8 p.m., and Kate and Jerry go to dinner with a group of friends, And this is a common occurrence for them. They reportedly ate at the same place every night. And the reason for this was was super close to their apartment. It was only like a two-minute walk back to the apartment. 
and they could wasn't it like the resort like the restaurant at the resort or like right next to the resort or something like that yeah yeah um and it was kind of a little tapas type of a place and it was super like laid back and chill and it was like calm and 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 cool enough for them to check still be able to check on the kids periodically and feel safe with that Mm mm-hmm so on a typical night, they would feed the kids around five, six o'clock-ish, and then they would wind them down, they would play sometimes, get the kids ready for bed, settle them in, have a few drinks, and then go out for a late dinner between eight and nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. And that was what they did this night. And according to reports, this group um, said that it wasn't uncommon for the parents to leave the kids alone sleeping, often with a door unlocked while they had dinner. And then this allowed the nine adults to check in on the eight kids periodically throughout the night. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of been a little bit of judgment here and there because a lot of people believe that you shouldn't leave a child alone like that. And well, it's the same particularly thing as leaving the, the door on smart case. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all these things that you say afterward that you should yeah. or shouldn't do. But I think they felt kind of they were lulled into sort of a false sense of security. Mm-hmm. They left their doors unlocked. They checked on the kids periodically. They left them alone. I'm sure if any of them could take it back and go back and do it again, they would not do that. Of course. But I think in this instance, blaming the family and saying that they're negligent parents, mm, I'm not so certain that this sort of a crime wouldn't happen at some point or another, regardless of the negligence factor. But mm-hmm. let me just dive into this a little deeper. So... While the couples sit at this tapas restaurant, the parents would take turns at regular intervals checking on the little kids. Um, it's approximately a two-minute walk back to the apartment where the McCann kids are staying, and they're doing this about every 20 minutes or so. Some of them had baby monitors, and some of them just checked on their kids every few minutes. But at 9 p.m. on the night of May 3rd, Jerry, Madeline's dad, is the first to get up and check on the kids. He goes into the patio door and sees that the door of the children's room is ajar. And this is out of the ordinary since it's usually only open a crack, but he's like, eh, you know, maybe the wind blew it or maybe one of the kids got up and pushed it or something like that. He looks in, sees that all three kids are safely tucked into their beds and he's like, eh, no big deal. Mm-hmm. So 9.30, Kate gets up to check on them next and she's stopped by another one of the parents who insists on checking on the kids in her place. And there's nothing strange out of the place on that trip either. 10 p.m., Kate gets up and she goes to check on the kids for the next check. And she, like Jerry, sees the door has been open slightly more than usual. And she notes this and then she reaches out to open the door and the wind pulls it from her grasp and slams it. So like a window's open. So there's got to be a window open, which is immediately... When Jerry went and noticed the door was open... A little bit more. Did he close it back? I think he pushed it to its normal position when he left. So okay. like he goes so to the leave. door had been moved a second yeah. time, basically, yes. is what we're saying. Okay. So the mom opens the door and notices that Madeline's bed is empty and the window and shutters are open, which is not usual. And it's out of the ordinary right. and immediately warning bells are going off for her. She's shocked at what she sees and she starts searching the apartment thinking maybe the little girl woke up, had to go potty, or one of the many things that little girls typically get out of bed for in the middle of the night. I mean, mm-hmm. she's three, right? Yeah. Sometimes little girls get up, they want to drink water, they ought to go potty, like they want to go into the mommy and daddy's room, all kinds of little things. I, I think it's kind of rare to find one that'll stay in bed all night. But One of my friends has, I think she's 
I should know. I'm not even going to guess. She's very small, um, maybe three or four. But uh, I was hanging out at their house one night after the kids had gone to bed, and she comes down, and she's like, I need a trash bag. What? <laughs> you need a trash bag. And their dad was like, she's just looking for a reason to stay up. So it's just like, that's a thing like little yeah. kids do. They just yeah. look for something. Absolutely. And so she kind of, her mom knew her daughter well and was like, maybe that's what happened. And so she started mm-hmm. searching, but she searches the entire apartment and it appears that Madeline has disappeared without a trace. Mm. So she runs back to the group at the, the Tapas restaurant and starts, they all start frantically searching for this missing three-year-old. And when their search yields absolutely zero results, they call in the local police who arrive by about 10.30 p.m. The police automatically see there's no signs of forced entry in the front door or the back patio door, and they relate the back patio was the one that was usually left unlocked, but they could see the patio door from the restaurant, and they would have noticed if somebody had come or gone, is what they said. So... People are frantically searching for this little girl in the water areas, the pools, like bushes, everywhere they can think of that they might find some trace of her and they can't find anything. So they end up having to call the search off around 4.30 a.m. with no Madeline. The parents speak out at a press conference and plead with the captors of their little girl to let her come home. The authorities question all nine adults and they all tell the exact same story that nothing had appeared out of the ordinary. And when they're investigating this as well, nothing really appears out of the ordinary. Typically when Mm -hmm. you have cases like this, they're looking for some signs, like there's some sort of marital discord, there's maybe financial problems, things like that. But the family had no enemies, no secrets, no little skeletons in the closet and no one who their daughter would have left willingly with. And they say she wouldn't have left with a stranger. She would have put up a fight. She just was the kind of girl that would do that. And there's no signs of a struggle, no witnesses, and no noises of the girls in the hotel, or or excuse me, no noises of the guests in the hotel, and no one reported seeing anything except one person. Mm -hmm. 9.15 on the night of Madeline's disappearance, one guest saw a dark-haired man in a dark coat carrying a little child in his arms away from the hotel. This seemed very suspicious to her because it just caught her eye because he was rushing away and the child had bare feet and Mm -hmm. the guest provided a very, very complete and detailed description and a sketch was even created of this person. Um, And the volunteers continue searching at that point. But the police, I think, kind of poo-pooed this woman's account Mm -hmm. and didn't really think it was that serious. So did you watch that netflix special i was gonna bring that up later but i personally did not watch that netflix special i watched like i didn't finish it so i shouldn't like say too much about it but it didn't sound like the police took the entire thing seriously no i think they were just like yeah whatever okay next sort of a thing is is what the what the family said as well right and the detail i do remember distinctly is that when the witness saw this man carrying a child that that the the detail i remember was that the child was barefoot like that's yeah that's the thing that always stuck out to me and that's that not would be something weird. that's usual it's nine o'clock yeah. it's after nine o'clock at night and there's somebody rushing away from the hotel with a child with bare feet which seems very right. very unusual in my mind but yeah. about a week after madeline's disappearance may 14 2007 police find a 34 year old man who is a local property developer and he becomes a suspect right away and they question him 
and he was super close to the event. His name is Robert Morat, and he reached out to assist with the investigation initially, which kind of drew some criticism and a critical eye on this guy. Always and, questionable. Yeah, it's always a little shady when people want to get yeah. involved in investigations for stuff like this. But he just says he wants to help. And he has mm-hmm. a child that's the same age, and he says that he has compassion for them. And they said that the man spotted earlier walking away was said to look a little bit like Robert, and it was in the direction of his house. So okay. all of this seems super suspicious. And the man spotted also had a coat on, and most guests in that hotel area didn't wear coats because it was warm and they were usually from cooler climates. And so they thought that whoever was that did this was probably somebody who was from the area, mm-hmm. not somebody who came in as a tourist. Yeah. But as we all know, this case went cold after a while. And police went back to the apartment initially of the McCanns and they bring cadaver dogs. So... It's interesting. They waited until August. This happened in May, and they waited till August to bring the sniffer dogs in, which doesn't make hmm. sense to me. Um, evidently, the apartment stayed vacant for about a month before it was rented out again, and more tourists came into town at that point. The same thing as they brought the cadaver dogs in to look at the car that the McCanns rented when they were there as mm-hmm. well. And again, that car had been rented out since the McCanns had had it, which kind of drew a little bit of criticism from people that were looking at this case. However, according to cadaver dog experts, the length of time wouldn't really be all that important since dogs can sniff out stuff from a long time ago, up to years ago. Right. If it's a cadaver, like if they're looking for dead tissue, yeah, it doesn't matter how long something ha- like that, the body hasn't been there. But the, how the do you distinguish between whether it's Madeline McCann's body or somebody else's body? Well, you can't, but what are the odds there's going to be two dead bodies yeah, that's in my that thought as well. But hotel room. They brought two dogs in. One was trained yeah. to smell dead bodies, and the other was trained to smell blood. Okay. So See, And now, because I was going to say, like, if they do, like, a, it, it's useless to bring in a dog that, like, is just looking for, like, a missing, like, a search and rescue dog. Yeah. Because there's already been too many people yeah. in and out of that hotel room yeah. in that car. But a cadaver dog and blood, that sounds reasonable. Yeah. Interestingly enough, though, both dogs indicated that they smelled death and blood Hmm. in the apartment. And they also smelled it in Kate and Jerry's bedroom closet and in the rental car trunk, which seems super shady and suspicious, right? Like Mm -hmm. why would there be the smell of decomposition and blood in the bedroom closet and in the rental car trunk? That seems Mm -hmm. so bonkers to me. And this causes the police to shift their investigation, putting Kate and Jerry as possible suspects. And they stayed in Portugal for quite a while after, right? Because I remember it being news when they went back to England. Yeah. But the most prevalent theory at the time by the police was that Madeline's parents gave her some sort of a sedative to knock her out. That way they could go have dinner and not be bothered by their hyperactive toddler. They also suspect that the couple gave her too much and she died as an accident. So they don't think that they necessarily, yeah, exactly. They don't think they necessarily did it on purpose, but there was sort of a panic and they hid the body and then buried it weeks after hiding her. And the reason the cadaver dogs alerted to the house and car was because they had hid her in the closet Mm -hmm. and then put her in the trunk and then took her away. But was there any evidence that she was particularly hyperactive? Are they just saying that? I don't, I mean, she's a three-year-old kid. Yeah. 
most three-year-old yeah. kids are pretty active and they want to play. They want to make a noise. They want to, they want to be kids. Especially if there's other kids around. Yeah. Um, crime scene, excuse me, crime scene specialists are doubtful of the theories of the police though, because the scene had been closed off after Madeline disappeared and it could have been anyone who rented the apartment or car. And then again, what are the odds though, that there would be decomposition odor and blood, but then you, you also have to realize that cadaver dogs are not hundred percent accurate mm-hmm. and they sometimes can miss things or confuse evidence. So we also have to take that into consideration. There mm-hmm. have been instances where cadaver dogs have literally been standing on top of a dead body and haven't alerted to it. So I think that they're <laughs> not great. There can be some, you know, confusion and it's not a hundred percent accurate. So we have to keep that in mind. Well, there's variability. And I mean, like, Depends on the dog, too. Absolutely. Um, September 9th, 2007, Kate and Jerry and the twins have to leave Portugal and return to England. So they were there from May to September. Yeah. That's a long time. That is a really long time. And at this time, Portuguese police take over the case and continue to search for Madeline. Later, the London police and Scotland Yard get involved as well um, in the case. And pictures are developed to show what Madeline might look like in later years. And the McCanns go on numerous TV shows to plead for the um, return of their daughter. And I mm-hmm. think we all have seen one or two of those because um, they really did a, a, quite a press circuit in yes. hopes of finding their little girl. Fast forward summer of 2020, German officials announced they have someone in custody for Madeline McCann's murder. And I think you remember when this initially came I out. I do. It like came out of nowhere. Yeah. June 2020, 40-year-old Christian Rubner is announced as Madeline's possible killer. So this turns the case from a simple missing person search into a murder case overnight. So I think there was always sort of this hope and sort of a belief that Madeline was still alive and there was no reason Mm -hmm. to think she was dead and that they were hoping for her return, that maybe she'd been taken sex trafficking sort of a thing, that sort of a maybe a child pornography ring, something of that nature, I think was the thought, the the prevalent thought by people looking in on it from the outside. But German officials announced that they have evidence, but they're not really specific as to what evidence that is. Right. I remember that. And it was some like weird German thing. Like they could announce the charge they arrested him on, but they couldn't announce how they thought he was linked to Madeline McCann. Yeah. Well, and the good news is Rubiner is already behind bars. He's serving a sentence for a 2005 sexual assault of a 72-year-old right. American woman, which is bonkers. Um, the sentence is seven years for that crime, and it is evident to a lot of people involved in this case that this guy was in the area at the time of Madeline's disappearance. Mm-hmm. And they can prove that. Um, local authorities announced that Christian was a known sex offender, and that he'd been traveling regularly back and forth between Germany and Portugal during the approximate time that Madeline disappeared. He was also near the resort at the time of Madeline's disappearance, and he drove a super distinctive vehicle, so people already clearly remembered him. So people clearly remembered him from this incident, and his cell phone also pinged off towers Mm -hmm. in the area. So police already had their eyes on him for theft, drug trafficking, and child sex crimes. He lived super close to Madeline's apartment at the time of the crime and was seen near the crime at the time of Madeline's disappearance. As I just mentioned, cell phone records also confirmed his presence in the area. And he immediately took off after the murder. 
which is one of those key acts that are super sketchy for people that are looking at suspects. Yes. And again, I didn't finish the, th- the special or whatever, but I remember like they talked about how quickly they shut down the border yeah. of Portugal. Cause Portugal is very small. Yeah. Like it's, it's tall, but it's like thin. Yeah. So like they shut down the border really, really, really quickly. And I remember them talking about that, but apparently this guy somehow got through. through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this Christian guy was, he has a super long rap sheet. Um, he's been arrested 20 times, and for some reason, he wasn't on the radar of the Portuguese authorities. But in 1994, mm. he molested a six-year-old and was charged two years for that one. Then, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that allegedly happened in between that. But 2017, he has child sexual abuse charges as well. He served a little over a year on that one. And then 2019 was that assault of the American woman. But You know, like, you hear about people not being allowed to go to like certain countries because they have criminal records yeah why was he allowed to go to portugal in the first place you know what i mean like i don't know i mean clearly he wasn't doing it in a way that was super evident and i think the borders there are a little bit different than the borders here in the u.s and canada you know like there really are quite extensive checkpoints from canada to u.s and Mm -hmm. from mexico to u.s Maybe you don't need a visa to b- travel between like Portugal and Germany. I think there it's are all part of the yeah, EU. less restrictions okay. there than there are here. And again, okay. if you have knowledge of this and you want to correct yeah, us, please, let us, please let us know. But it's my understanding that the borders are not the same as they would be here in the U.S. It's not as strict in a lot of places as it is here. In any case, he wasn't on the radar from the, mm. the Portuguese authorities. And 2017, Madeline's case has its 10-year anniversary. And this dude is sitting in a bar drinking, this Christian guy. And he sees information on the case on the local news and claims he knows what happened to Madeline. And he tells this person, this friend of his, that he stalked the McCann apartment and took Madeline after days of surveillance. So he's like full-on just spilling it out everywhere, saying, I know what happened, I did this, blah, 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 to this person with him at the bar. And then he shows this quote-unquote friend a video of himself raping a woman most likely the american woman that he was convicted of oh my god so his companion not being a disgusting worthless slug of a human being immediately goes to the police and is like hey this guy is talking all kinds of stuff and he showed me this video and it's horrifying and you need to grab him because he's a bad dude but um evidently german authorities knew about this for years but kept it quiet while they gathered evidence so they knew he was a suspect they knew there was some bad stuff going on with him and they're just keeping him under sort of a surveillance kind of a thing um as the case begins to heat up against christian rubner it becomes evident that madeline was probably not this man's only murder victim yeah Uh, May 2015, a five-year-old named Inga Garrett is visiting friends with her family in Germany, and she disappears near some nearby woods. It sounds a lot like the Madeline case. They searched for this little girl, and they never found her. February 2016, German police raid Christian's property, and they don't find the body of Inga, but they do find a dead dog buried on top of a bunch of USB drives. And they Hmm. check out these USB drives and discover it's a massive trove of child pornography that this guy has Hmm. hid. There are over 8,000 pieces of evidence that are recovered when they search this guy's property, along with some little girl's swimsuits and a bunch of other random stuff. They do not find any connections preliminarily or that they're willing to release to the public, 
for Inga, any connections to Inga. But they closed that case in 2017. But then after they find this connection in 2020, they mm-hmm. reopened that case. So Inga Garrett's okay. case is reopened. Police now suspect that this Christian guy, in addition to that, also possibly abducted, abducted a six-year-old named Renee Hossi, who was on a holiday in June 1996. He vanished from a vacation in Portugal. They also reopened that case because he was in the area at the time as well. There's a Belgian case from July 1996, which is the murder of a 16-year-old girl on vacation in Belgium. She was last seen with a mysterious German man before they found her body. Oh, my gosh. There are also numerous other cases that police have reopened with Christian as their main suspect. Rubiner is known to have frequented pedophile chat rooms and posted absolutely disgusting messages about abusing, killing, and torturing children. So this Christian guy, he's in a German prison for a few more years. This is going to allow the police to gather as much evidence as possible against him and test DNA gathered at the scenes of many of these crimes, which they didn't really have access to or Mm -hmm. the ability to test back in the early 90s, which is when they suspect he started his crime sprees. Um, But most of these... How old is he now? He's in his 40s. I believe he's 43 now. So he was like a teenager in the, in yeah. the 90s. Yeah, I mean, that's when wow. he started that. Isn't that just disgusting? He was probably yeah. like 18, 17, 18 when he started doing this kind of stuff. Ugh. And it's particularly interesting to me, this case in general, just now because um, it appears that we now have a strong suspect in custody. Um, mm-hmm. The family was also lambasted by social media. And I don't know if you remember that. There were people that were just absolutely brutal towards the, this family. They threatened to kidnap them, McCann's other kids. People ran websites against them. One was arrested after spreading flyers in their village, accusing them of doing something to their daughter. Another crazy person overdosed on helium after being confronted with hundreds of anti-McCann tweets. What? Yeah. Just weird stuff in this case. The family was criticized very widely for leaving their kids alone with the door mm-hmm. unlocked again that they were just absolutely lambasted for that mm-hmm. and the club evidently offered babysitters and other child care options so people were like why didn't they utilize that why did they put their kids in danger and they wanted the McCanns prosecuted for child abandonment mm-hmm. child abuse and all kinds of other things they claimed that they didn't have that if these people didn't have doctor money, that they would have been prosecuted, that they, they weren't because they were affluent. I remember, like, specifically the commentary about Kate. Like, it was just... Yeah, they say because she so wasn't emotional bad. that, you know, she they said she was too emotional sometimes, and sometimes she didn't right. cry, and they were just... They were very, very critical of this woman. Other accused... Other people accused the McCanns of selling their child. Like, I remember there was that Mm -hmm, widespread kind of speculation that this couple had sold their own child, which is like, you know, they're freaking doctors. Mm -hmm. Why would they need to sell their child for money? That just doesn't make any sense. Um, They did... It had a very, too, and I remember, like, at the beginning of this, it had a very John JonBenet Ramsey... It did. It really did. I mean, why would there be cadaver and blood... In the trunk and in the closet. That doesn't right. make sense to me. Like, that's the part of this case that really kind of draws my attention is, mm-hmm. uh, it seems suspicious. But um, the couple sued seven, at least seven newspapers for libel. 
And they won most of these cases and got settlements from it. Were they, and you may not, this may not be part of anything you found, but were they part of the News of the World hacks, phone hacks? Do you remember that? Uh, I don't recall that. Do you remember that, that when they hacked all those people, though? I don't remember that. Like the, it's like some British, like it's owned by the Murdochs. So like the same people that own Fox News, but it's like some really awful British tabloid and they hacked, like they hacked like Prince William and Kate Middleton. They hacked like all these super, super famous people. And I feel like they hacked the McCanns. I didn't see anything on that. Okay. When I was You can take that out, but. Um, There was also a huge documentary that came out in 2019 on Netflix, which is the one that you are talking to, Mm -hmm. I, I believe. Yeah. Um, and you know how they do things at Netflix. They usually get into pretty good detail on a lot of these cases and talk with people and interview people and really dig mm-hmm. in deep. But um, the McCanns also set up Madeline's Fund in 2007 to assist with efforts to find their little girl, as well as a website. And the fund has been kind of investigated and criticized throughout the years because some people say they, they learned that McCanns used some of the funds to pay for part of their mortgage and... This is just, there's been so much criticism of this couple. And at the same time, there have been sightings of Madeline, alleged sightings of her all over the world. Um, And I suspect we'll hear more about this case in the coming months and years. It just seems like there's a lot of information that the German authorities are holding very close to the vest, much like the last case that we heard, in order to kind of preserve that evidence and use it for a future trial. And again, German authorities obviously do things a little bit different than we do here in the U.S., but I'm reminded of the case that we talked about with Abby and Libby, mm-hmm. the Delphi murders, where they have not released any information. I mean, very, very, very little information to the public because they believe that it would jeopardize the ability to prosecute, find, narrow down the perpetrator of the crime. And that is most likely what's going on here in this case as well. Right. Um, I just looked this up, and uh, they were victims of the News of the World hacking. So just kind of briefly, um, it's a British newspaper owned by Rupert Murdoch, and they were, in 2011, it was revealed that they had targeted, between 2005 and 2007, they had targeted celebrities, politicians, members of the British royal family, another murder victim, her phone, and victims of the July 7, 2005 London bombings. Like, they were just, it was just gross. And they did target the McCanns. Um, yeah, just gross that somebody would take advantage of a situation like that to try to get money or, like, get attention. or It's just gross. I mean, obviously these people have dealt with a, a significant um, yeah. tragedy in their lives. And losing a child, I mean, you just there's nothing you can do to recover, prepare, anything mm-hmm. um, for that sort of a thing. And I just I feel a lot of compassion for this family. I'm, I'm curious as to why they would find blood evidence, cadaver evidence in the, the home and the trunk of the car. But, you know, barring that, it looks like this Christian Ruminer guy could be a very viable candidate for having done this. He's a very disgusting, bad, awful person who's done a lot of really right. terrible things. And the authorities are liking him for being the primary suspect. Yeah, and there's all kinds of things that can happen, like with a scent-sniffing dog. Like, it could have been biased by the sample. or Like, there's, I mean, who knows what could have happened. Like, there's been no evidence from the jump at all that the parents were involved yeah. in this, and that's kind of the only reason I bring it up, that, like, there might be an error with this cadaver-sniffing dog. Um because we also know that, like, in the case of, like, Casey Anthony, there was, like, the cadaver-sniffing dog did, you know, 
alert to decomposition in the trunk of her car and <laughs> she was acquitted but yeah. i think we all kind of you know have a feeling about that um that she was involved in some sort of way but like it's not foolproof i mean it is comp- it is a very subjective you're relying on yeah. an animal that like you can't really communicate with so there there can be errors with it i mean I, it's it's very useful i mean dogs have obviously very that like it's scientifically proven that dogs have very they're not perfect of smell they're not perfect but they do a lot of good still, but i think we have to realize that they're not i mean it's robots they're not right. machines they're animals and animals often do things that are unpredictable that doesn't mean that they're a bad dog that doesn't mean that they're not effective yeah. in some cases but i just don't think you can reliably say that's 100 percent accurate and try to depend on that right so yeah like if that's that it can't be your only evidence kind of a thing. yeah i mean i th- and there's no other indication that the mccann's are involved or anybody that was in that group i don't think there's anything to to continue to look at them as suspects and there's just so right. much more evidence lining up against this christian rubiner guy that um i think we'll see that coming out in, in later days but um yeah. interesting case and we'll definitely keep you guys updated once more information comes out it's sad i mean it's a sweet little girl and he obviously stalked them surveyed them and he was determined to do bad things and he was i mean even if he's not involved in this particular case he's clearly a serial predator he is yeah yeah i mean so gross um yeah i want to take a few minutes and read some emails if that's okay (gasps) yay we haven't done that in a long time yeah i needed some positive encouragement (laughs) i needed to feel a little bit of a happiness so some some warm fuzzies so i don't know if you remember this person named suzanne that wrote to us several months back um i can't remember exactly when it was i think it was like july maybe august and she had mentioned that she had been retiring and... Oh, yeah. She didn't get to go to her retirement She didn't because right? of COVID. And I do remember that. She talked about how she enjoyed the podcast and so forth. And yeah, <laughs> she sent a follow-up email. So I thought oh, it was yeah. kind of neat to read that. But she wrote, Sarah, I can't believe I just listened to your podcast from last fall where you read my letter on air. <laughs> I'm so thrilled that it made you happy. You guys make me happy. I'm behind with the episodes, but I was listening to two or three at a time and decided I didn't want to run out. So I went back and have been <laughs> replaying them from the beginning. I'm so Ooh, ghoulish. There's some rough episodes in the <laughs> right? beginning. <laughs> right? I'm so ghoulish, but honestly, it's all so interesting to me. What made me write today was that I listened to the Danny Rowling episode and learned Ooh. that you were a cemetery lover. Because remember we talked about oh, that? Oh, yeah, because you're weird. And she says, me too. I love the history and creepiness of them. (laughs) If you're ever in London, maybe one day we'll be able to travel again. Check out Highgate Cemetery. It's so good. It's actually not that old, just from Victorian times, but it feels way older. It's divided into two sections, and the west side is only accessible by guided tour, which is well worth it. Everything is moss-covered and quiet and falling apart, and there's an enormous Egyptian avenue and Circle of Lebanon thing that's super evocative. Check it out. It's crazy good. Have you ever been to London? No. I haven't been to Europe at all. I haven't either. So she also says, also, I recently read this book by Douglas Preston called The Monster of Florence, which I thought was interesting. (gasps) It's on my list. Yeah. It's a case that we're going to do. Yeah. Um, Don't worry, Suzanne. (laughs) We will definitely (laughs) take your advice and do that case because it is 
awesome. So yes. true crime plus. <laughs> she says string of serial killers since the sixties, I think, and no one has ever been successfully prosecuted. Yes. One of the things I thought was bonkers was that apparently in this area of Tuscany, there's a kind of lover's lane type of thing. And there's a bunch of men who hide in the woods at night, kind of voyeurs and watch people have sex. There's Ew. a name for them and everything. Although I can't remember what it is. Any Hooters wondered if you'd heard about this one and thought it could be good for your show. Hope you and yes. yours and Darcy are all well and staying somewhat sane in these wackadoodle times. All the best, Suzanne. Thank you, Suzanne. And yeah, the the uh, monster of, of Florence, isn't that one where like they murdered a couple and it was one person, was, it was uh, two men and one of them, like one of the men had very long hair and they thought that that was like maybe the person... The, I've heard several that podcasts that was... about murders in Italy, and I'm not, you know, really, really I sure. I might be confusing it with another one, but I feel like... Off the top of my head, but it's definitely I, a case that we want to do. I feel like in that one, like, they, there were two men that were murdered, and the, like, I guess maybe because of the time, I don't know if the men were actually a couple or if they were just two guys hanging out, but I think, this, like, the speculation at the time was, like, that the, the one of the guys had longer hair, and the murderer from a distance thought it was, like, a woman. Um... But, I mean, it still very well could have been a couple. I just, maybe at the time, it was, like, scandalous to say that or whatever. Well, but. in any case, we're going to cover that case. Yeah, that's Darcy a good one. That book has, has been on Darcy my list for years. Darcy and myself have been interested in that one for a long time. Yeah. There's some good Italian and European cases just in general. So we, we have yes. plans to cover that. Don't you worry. <laughs> and also send in more book ideas. Yeah. I'm still trying to get this book club started. Hello. Um... We had another email that says, I've been listening. Oh, it says, don't let the haters get you down was the subject line. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and this person <laughs> says, I've been listening to you two since the beginning. I just wanted to reach out to give you both some positive reinforcement after I saw your post on Instagram. You two really work hard and do your research and it shows. Don't listen to the negative idiots who are just trying to bring you down. Keep your chins up and know that you're doing a great job and way more people enjoy your podcast than the couple of little pimples that don't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Much love, Stacy. <laughs> Thanks, Stacy. I just put a post up that was like, you know, positive vibes kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's sort of a thing. But thank you, Stacy. Um, we got one that says, Hi, Darcy and Sarah. Notice she put your name first. <laughs> she says, yeah, but you only pointed out when that happens. Like, yeah. all the rest don't come to you. <laughs> right? Addressed nope. directly to you. Nope. And she says, I listened to the Kristen Smart episode and wanted to say how much I enjoyed it. I initially heard about the case because I went to college in Southern California at the same time. My mom was so freaked out and almost pulled me out of school to come home. Mm. There was just so much there, and I didn't know about this case in great, great detail. And it was super surprising to find out some of the later information that you guys provided. Thanks for reminding me of this case and doing a good job covering it. Jennifer. Thanks, Jennifer. All right. That's happy. And then this last one says, kudos to some great content. It says, I actually started listening to your podcast after my friend Kim recommended it at work. I was impressed by your thoughts and di wait, I was impressed by your thoughtful dialogue and choices and content. You two seem to cover lots of cases that many other podcasts don't. And it's fun to listen to the differences. I also really enjoy the personal aspects of Darcy's school and Sarah's house projects. I hadn't expected to like the show so much, but now I'm hooked. Keep up the good work. I will make sure to spread the word and let others know about your great content and awesome conversation. All the best, Neville. Neville? Neville. 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 Okay. Yeah. Devil. That's awesome. <laughs> like I was, I was like wondering, but like Neville Chamberlain. Yeah. I actually randomly was just talking to somebody about Neville Chamberlain 
which is a very Darcy thing to say. Like, that's not, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of like that name. That's kind of cool. But I do too. Thank you for those of you who took the time to give us some positive feedback and to write to us. Um, There were some other ones, but they were kind of smaller content from people that were like, hey, keep your chin up. You know, you guys are doing great, that kind of thing. But I didn't necessarily need to cover all that. There were probably 30 or 40 of those. But these ones were a little bit bigger. And that was on social media kind of a thing. Gotcha. I just was feeling a little bit down and just discouraged a little bit this last week. And, and, you know, there's a whole variety of different reasons for that, but I just kind of needed a little extra encouragement and it was nice for people to sort of chime in and sort of provide that. So I was happy. Yeah. It's really nice to have that community. Yeah. And I think like true crime community is like that. Yeah. Like you can post like that, like that Instagram post and like, you know, it brings like positive comments and things like that. So it's always, that's always nice to hear because we do work really hard. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be people anytime you put yourself out there that are going to be critical, mm-hmm. um, that are going to not like the content that you provide or that are going to complain about things that you do any, anytime in any place that you put yourself out there that happens. Mm-hmm. And I think we all just kind of need to keep that in mind. Like I'm, I can be a little bit sensitive when it comes to that kind of stuff and I'm trying to have a thicker skin and to just take it constructively but it's hard sometimes you know well it's something that we both work really hard and we both really want this to do very well and we both want it to be a good show so it it does kind of hurt when when somebody doesn't like something that you put a lot of hard work into but it's one of the you know it's like you said it's a labor of love for us too yeah for sure so you know this is not a job for us we do this because we love it so Mm -hmm. anyway um, thank you to all of you who took the time to write into us. We enjoy it. Keep up that those emails. It makes us feel happy. All warm, yeah. fuzzy. And for real, I'm serious about book recommendations. Heck yeah. I'm sure <laughs> Suzanne will provide some other good ones. She yes. seems like she's got the 411 on the good stuff. I'm about it. So um, social media? Yeah, we are at the BFD podcast on Twitter and Instagram. So we'll post all some good stuff there. And you can also contact us there. Yeah, or you can shoot us an email at the bfdpodcast at gmail.com like the rest of these kind folks that did in the last few weeks and show us some love or show suggestions or like give us some critiques on maybe facts that you think are not right. You know, we'll correct mm-hmm. those. We'll give you a shout out and let everyone know how awesome you are for pointing out inaccuracies because, you know, we just want to be as correct as we can. Mm-hmm. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>